Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host today, Ian Fisher. We've got a really great show lined up for everyone, and we're going to focus especially on the state of California. Now, I know California gets a lot of attention, and we talk about it all of the time, but sometimes I think we overlook the opportunities that might be available for students at the California State University System, more affectionately known as the CSUs. We've got a couple of great alumni of the CSU system who are going to be joining us in the second segment for today's show, and they're going to talk a little bit about what their experiences were like when they were in college and how that college experience has affected their professional lives. But because this show is, of course, targeted towards prospective students who are looking to apply to college, we also want to come at it from an admissions perspective, and that means bringing one of our own experts from Bright Horizons College Coach to the first segment to talk a little bit about how CSU mission is going to work. So we've got Gabby Tobias, one of my great colleagues down in Southern California joining us today. Hey, Gabby, how are you? Hey, Ian, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's great to be here in 2023. Right. And of course, that means that we're turning the page to an entirely new set of students, those 2024 grads who are starting to think about their college search process. And let's imagine that you're talking to a new student who's just starting to research colleges and they want to know a little bit more about the Cal State system. And they've heard a little bit about the Cal State system. What's your initial just overview of what students can expect from that system and and things that you would point out early on in that research process? Yeah, I think that's a good start. Um, One, the Cal State system is one of the largest, I believe, systems in the U.S. with over 23 campuses spread across northern to central to southern California. So you really got the pick and the luck of your draw. You know, no matter where you're at, you're most likely going to be in a beautiful area. That's just where California hands you, right? Um, But with that being said, I think the CSU system offers a lot of opportunities for students. Their mission and their motto is to make sure that they can educate as many Californians as possible. And I think that's phenomenal. And I think they're able to do so also by making sure it's an affordable cost as well. So they are in the top 10 for one of the most affordable campus systems in the U.S. as well, too. And I believe over 50 percent of their undergraduates actually graduate with zero or little to no debt which is phenomenal and is something that, you know, should be, they should be proud of and they should be able to clap their hands from that as well too. Um, With that being said, educational wise, they're really, really big resources, you know, making sure that every student is connected to an academic advisor. They actually can't move forward in the process without connecting with academic advisor earlier on in their first couple of years. Um, And then they're also big experiential learning. So getting students inside labs, inside research, um, undergraduate hands-on experience, those are things that kind of help shape and round out your college experience. And so they want to make sure that they're pushing that really, really early as well, too. Um, And then also, lastly, one of the things that I really love about it is diversity. So they are top in the country for diversity as well. So they are one of the most diverse campus systems in the U.S., 
Um, and they really thrive on that, you know, making sure that they're able to reach a diverse audience from low income to economic diversity, um, also ethnicity as well, too. So they really do a good job at honing in on that. That's a, that's a great summary. I really appreciate you starting with the conversation about cost and debt. You know, sometimes on the admission side, we focus so much on the experience and how to get in and you know mm-hmm. how to apply. We often need our finance colleagues to remind us that there is yeah. a cost associated with college. But but I appreciate you leading with that because I think it is one of those major strengths of the CSU system. Uh, it also fits within the overall California higher education master plan. You've mm-hmm. got the UC campuses which uh, uh, have a certain amount of funding per pupil. And then you've got the CSU campuses, and there are 23 of those. And then there's the California Community College system as well. When we're thinking about the UCs versus the CSUs, I want to come to a little bit later some of the differences in terms of applying to those two campus systems. But is there any difference that you can pick up on with respect to the experiential aspects of a CSU versus a UC for a student that wants to know, you know, I'm looking at Berkeley, I'm also looking at, you know, Cal State Los Angeles. What can we talk about in terms of potential differences just based on those two different systems? Yeah, I think some one of the biggest differences, again, I think Cal State's also really, really thrive and they really make sure to hone in on is that they're preparing kind of workforce ready students. And they're preparing kind of those leaders for the workforce. And, and that's something that's really huge and kind of really big. I think you definitely get that for UC, but I think for some of the UC components, you know, maybe it's a little bit more so academically driven versus CSUs is a little bit more. So they want students to kind of experience the whole package. Um, so they want students to kind of get in, again, mentioning labs, also making sure that they're connected kind of internships earlier on as well too, to kind of get you know, a bigger feel for that. I think also something that one of the campuses shared, actually Sonoma State, they are really big on criminal justice too. Mm -hmm. So they were saying some of the federal agents will actually come in, recruit students, help train students. Um, Some of their professors have been federal agents. So it's really more so for those professors, they're kind of teaching and learning by experience, which I think is phenomenal as well too. So it's really something that they hone in on is really showcasing more of that experience side of it versus just inside of a lecture hall, which is nothing wrong with that. But I think if you're more so of a hands-on and a visual learning like myself, you could really, really thrive in a CSU campus. That, I think that's a great explanation. And I think it's it's important for students to think about that explanation in the context of what they're seeking from higher ed. Um, you know, for me coming from a family with a couple of professors, like I was just very focused on learning. I wanted to do academics to the max. Um, but that's not for everyone. I think a lot of people might say I'm going to college in order to be prepared for my career. I'm going to college Mm -hmm. because I want to get training for a particular job I'm interested in. And the CSUs do a really, really good job of that because they perceive that to be a big cornerstone of their mission. There's also just a great thing about the CSUs is that they're not all the same. Like they no. they have radically different kinds of programs. There are areas of specialization. If you look at Humboldt State has great forestry programs. Of course they would because they're up in Humboldt County. Right. <laughs> you know, there's there's so much that you can see in terms of the diversity also of the academic programming at these different campuses that I think is really, really exciting for students to consider. Are there any other highlights that that you point, you mentioned Sonoma State with the criminal justice program, Humboldt's got forestry. Are there other things that really stand out to you about the Cal State system? 
Yeah, Sonoma State also. Um, so I mentioned criminal justice. Also, something really cool is the wine industry. Obviously, you're in. I was Sonoma. hoping you'd say that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you're in Sonoma, so yeah. it's really in the palm of your hand right there. Um, and so, what they really do now is something really cool that they mentioned is that they'll actually take in um, children from those who are working in kind of the harvesting and the crop area of the wine industry to really making sure that they're kind of teaching them the business aspect of it. So not only do they know kind of the agriculture aspect of it just from growing up in that area, but they want to make sure they kind of know the ins and outs. So hopefully, you know, in the long run, they could, you know, own their own wine industry or their own, you know, winery. They can, you know, maybe run one and they can kind of know what it takes to be successful in that industry, you know, rather than having to do the opposite side of it. So I thought that was really phenomenal. Um, Cal Poly Slow, Dairy Sciences, right? You're right there um, yeah. in the heart of yeah. it as well. So they're really able to really hone in on that agriculture aspect of it too. On the other side of it, I think Cal Poly Long Beach is part Cal State Long Beach as well. They have phenomenal performing arts programs. Mm. Um, so that's something that they really, really honed in on that they really emphasize was their performing arts programs as well too. So it's really diverse. I know one uh, Cal State mentioned construction science as well too as a major so mm -hmm. really diverse and a lot of students with so many different interests can kind of come in and really have you know whatever they'd want kind of at the hands of their feet which I think is really awesome as we're seeing a lot of people lean in towards other trades and other areas yeah and it's it's great to have there are many students who want an answer to that question that makes them anxious which is what am I going to do after college mm -hmm. and I think that the CSUs are really helpful in providing an answer to that question across a variety of different campuses. And so you've got this foundation of a really great system and you know that a CSU is gonna have a certain level of quality just by virtue of the fact that it's a part of that system. But then each individual campus is gonna find the things that it's best in based on where it's located, other yeah. resources it might have access to. And so those are things that you can look for as a student, you're researching these different campuses. Now, this is ostensibly an admissions podcast. And so we talk a little bit about how students need to think about <clears throat> applying to these schools, likelihood of getting in, you know, building a, a smart college list for students that are considering the CSUs and know that they want to apply to at least one, maybe more. Mm -hmm. Where do you start in helping them to understand how that application process is going to unfold? Yeah. So I think the nice thing about the CSUs is, you know, they have a pretty extensive application period. So starts October 1st. November 30th. So you have a good chunk of time to kind of sit down and apply for that as well. I think first, before we even start filling out that application, I really encourage students to research too um, and really look into kind of what you said, you know, what is it that you're looking to do and, and what may be a good CSU to kind of help fit that profile, especially with the application being a little bit more straightforward versus the UC application. You know, I really say, you know, if it, you're applying to just one, I guarantee there's probably going to be a few more on there that could be a really great fit for you. You know, let's sit yeah. down and let's start researching and, you know, look at some of those options for some of those programs that you want to go into. So I think that's something to say, if you're just doing one or two, let's see if we can add on three or four on there to kind of help round out that application so that you're applying a little bit more broadly within that system as well too. Yeah. Um, but kind of secondly, when it comes to that, again, the Cal State application pretty straightforward. So one, the only thing that you really need to apply is going to be your high school transcript, 
Um, also, if you know your parent income as well, too, anything like that as well, your social security number, household income, all that kind of basic demographic information, you're going to want to make sure you have that right on hand and kind of ready to apply. I also encourage, you know, blocking out two to four hours of your day, you know, over a weekend in the fall. It may not take that long, but just in that case that it does, you at least have that kind of time blocked off. And then, like I mentioned, having a printed copy of that transcript so you can mark it off and making sure that it's kind of fitting some of those um, areas when it comes to recording some of those courses as well. Now, now you, you did not mention the word essay and right. you did not mention extracurricular activities, which are things that I think people talk about all the time in college admission. Did you just forget, Gabby, that that's part of the process or uh, yeah. I, certainly not? So so why didn't you mention those things? Yeah. So if you're applying to the CSUs, you're a little lucky, you know, compared to some of your other colleagues on the other side, you don't have to worry about essays. Um, that is not something that's included in the process. The CSUs are a little bit more numerical when it comes to really calculating and making those admissions factors and those decisions. Also, like you mentioned, extracurriculars. Now there is a space, I do wanna note on the application, there is a space where you can input your work experience or your extracurricular experience. Okay. But they're just doing it by hours. So you're not necessarily sitting there and inputting all the activities, more so looking at it kind of qualitative. Um, and seeing how many hours per week or how many hours per year do you feel like you spend on these amount of activities? Because there are some of those CSUs, Cal Poly Slow, for example, that does take that into a factor when they're making those admissions decisions. Um, so, yeah, no, I didn't forget essays. That's just one really great. You would never, nice you would never forget. <laughs> I would never forget essays, but that's something that we kind of say it's why it's a little bit more easier is you don't have to worry about those components as well. That's right. That's right. Now, um, and I think one of the other things, and you were talking about, and I think it's really smart to talk to students about how to find a little balance and range across that system. If you're applying to at least one, applying to more than one is not any more work for mm -hmm. you to have to do. I think it's also important to remind students that sometimes there are negative stereotypes or biases around certain CSU campuses, things that yeah. over many decades have been uh, you know, part of word of mouth around these campuses. And I would really encourage students to be thoughtful about how they engage with each of these opportunities and not just assume that because your mom's colleague says one of the campuses isn't great because of right. what they did 30 years ago, that that still is the reality for these campuses today. Because I think there's a lot of really interesting and exciting stuff that's happening within the CSUs. And you mentioned all of the incredible strengths that the campus system have. Um, you got to go back uh, last fall to the CSU Counselor Conference. And I wonder if there are any other important takeaways that you would want students to know from that conversation as they're thinking about this system for the fall. Yeah, something really great and beneficial that they share too is when I'll kind of talk a little bit more so in action. And just to kind of give a brief overview of what impaction is real quick is it's basically meaning that they're receiving more eligible applicants than they can accommodate for. Right. Um, but so they did announce some updates for that is that there are also 11 out of the 23 campuses where there's no impaction or, or only program impaction only. So that's great and allows a lot more options for students to look at some of those. So Chico, East Bay, Monterey Bay is one of those that discontinued impaction for the fall of 2023. Nice. Um, also San Francisco State Kinesiology, Sonoma State Early Childhood, 
know more impaction as well too. Um, so that's something that they, you know, really make sure that they announced and, you know, kind of made sure that was some of the bigger ones as well. Also, I mentioned affordability earlier on, but something that they're continuing is if your family income is 70000 or lower and you are a family of four, you will graduate with no tuition. So you won't have to pay any tuition. So virtually you graduate with no debt. So it's something that they're continuing to do to increase, again, academic and economic um, access to all students as well. That's great. And they also are going to announce real quickly a transfer uh, program coming late 2023, they said. So be on the lookout. If you're currently attending a California community college, there is an option to where you can transfer to a CSU, similar to how UCs are doing it as well, too. So they said more info to come. Don't want to say too much, but, you know, that's something that all students transfer-wise can be on the lookout for, too. And that goes back to, I think the first thing you said was that the goal for CSUs is to educate as many Californians as possible to provide higher education degrees to as many people as they can. And these new transfer initiatives and taking away impaction, I think really, you know, reinforces that goal that they have for the system. Um, right. This has been a great just overview and introduction, Gabby. I want to thank you for going to that conference and and yeah. being an, a leading expert on our team in this particular space. And there's some great reminders just in this segment about what CSUs have to offer people. So thank you for being here. Of course. And thank you for having me. Folks, when we come back, we're going to actually talk to a couple of CSU alumni about their experiences on campus and how they've influenced them in their professional lives. So we'll see uh, what Gabby has said here and how it <laughs> resonates with specific examples uh, from, from people out in the world. Don't go away. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. (laughs) 
You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to Getting In, a college coach conversation. As you can see, if you're watching this on video, I've got two guests joining us for this second segment, and we are fortunate today to have leveraged the network of one of our admissions experts to bring in a couple of alumni of the CSU system. Uh, joining us today, we've got Alethea Gagas and Jess Stainer. Now, Alethea, I want to start with you. Where did you grow up? Which of the CSUs did you attend? Um, well, thank you for having me, first of all. Glad um, I'm glad I'm happy to be here. Um, I come from a very small mountain community in Southern California um, called Idlewild, California. Mm-hmm. And uh, I grew up there for the majority of my life, but went to um, high school in Hemet, California. And um, from there, I followed my journey towards Los Angeles and uh, went to uh, Los Angeles, uh, Cal State Los Angeles. Okay. And where do you live now? Are you still in LA? I am in the Los Angeles area. Yes. Okay. So you started in a small mountain community and are now in the second largest city in the country. Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. All right. So maybe New York that if you're trending <laughs> in that direction one day, but, but if you're going to stay in California, you're about as big as you can. Get. I, I love California. Um, up until the past couple of weeks, nothing beats the weather. Yeah, that is definitely true. That is definitely true. And Jess, I think a lot of people have this perception that if you go to a Cal state that you are anchored to California forever, maybe not just by choice, like Alethea has has chosen, but that you're just, you're there. But what about you? What's your story? Where are you from? Which CSU did you attend? And where are you now? Yeah, so you definitely can leave California after attending okay, school good. That's there good and living your whole know. life there. <laughs> it's not It's not in the contract. <laughs> it's not in the contract, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, See, so yeah, I actually grew up in Hemet, California, where Alethea went to high school. Um, that's actually where we know each other from. So it's mm-hmm. kind of fun. Uh, but I didn't, I went a little bit further uh, than she did. I traveled up the coast of California a little bit, and I actually landed at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Okay. Um, so one of the more uh, particular CSUs, if you will, since there's only two of them. Uh, and when I got there, I initially was a computer science major and then I kind of switched around a little bit. So, um, I had my fair share of time while I was there. And now you are not in California, correct? I am not correct. I live just outside of uh, Washington DC in Northern Virginia. I've lived here for about eight years now. Awesome. So you had your California experience. You're now trying things out on the the East coast. And if you've been there for eight years, it seems like it's going pretty well. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, the weather's a lot better in California. I'll give Alethea that, but uh, you know, it, it has its perks being out here close to the nation's capital as well. So, and w- one of the things that we were just talking about in our prior segment, you know, I had one of my colleagues on, and we were talking about the CSU system as a whole and how strong it is in terms of helping students to prepare for careers that they might want to pursue to get ready for you know, in some ways being trained for the job market. Now, I'm curious what your perspective is on that. You know, coming in, did you study exactly what you thought you were going to study? And what was the experience of getting that training so that you felt ready for whatever career path you were going to take coming on in? Alethea, why don't you start? Um, well, 
originally when I was applying to schools, uh, I was aiming for uh, UCLA. That was like where I wanted to go. And yeah. I did get into get accepted into the university, but looking at the cost comparisons between the Cal States and the UC system, I actually sat down with um, a few of the professors at UCLA and they shared with me that the majority of their administration worked at in the Cal State system as well. And we would get a little more focus on us. We'd get a little more hands-on experience in regards to what we wanted to do with our, um, with our chosen path. Um, I received a degree in telecommunications, film and media studies, along with a minor in behavioral psychology. So at the Cal State, I, at Cal State LA, I was able to, to receive both of those degrees in the, my short time there because I was able to get into the classes I wanted, I, because I was able to advocate for myself one-on-one with not only the professors, but also the administration to allow me to take courses that they normally wouldn't offer to a first year or a second year um, who were coming into the school. And uh, I did end up in the film industry that was my goal all along. Um, I did have a focus in uh, producing and writing at the time mm-hmm. there. And um, the years following school, I went into the independent world, uh, worked with some of the studios and uh, produce uh, lower lower budgets, and then ultimately found myself moving into net- the network side of the television industry. And now... Um, I'm with the studio and I've been with the Walt Disney studios for the past uh, two and a half years with what I'm doing Um, at Cal state LA. It was, I liked it and preferred it because you smaller classes. um, There were more opportunities that came up that you were able to take advantage of. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't as it was still competitive, but it wasn't, the we're taking one versus we can take five of you into whatever you're looking into. And I also have this overall sense that looking at colleagues of mine and friends of mine who are employed after school versus now, a lot of people who came out of the Cal state system were a little, were a little more successful because they were, they were willing to take, I'm, I, and I don't mean anything against anyone who so, did yeah. not go to Cal State, but, it's fine. but Disclaimer. They, were a little, they, they hustled a little more. Yeah. They understood that they needed to get in and hit the ground running. Um, and uh, that may just be a personality trait or a commonality among those who went there. But and that's not just I'm not saying everyone was like that, but it, it, that was that's the observation that I've seen over the years. I love that. I mean, I, I, there are a couple of things that I picked up there. One is that you can draw a direct line from your program of study to your career. There's a real strong connection between what you did in college and what you're doing professionally now. I also love to hear the ability to kind of to say, I got into two different schools and now I can actually really carefully look at what am I going to do there? Who am I going to work with? What's the environment going to be like? And I think that's such an important lesson for students who are considering colleges to think about. Most people might just say, 
yeah, of course, UCLA, I would always choose UCLA over Cal State Los Angeles. But you've given really good reasons why, especially in your circumstance, that wasn't the right call for you. Um, and, and the hustle piece, I think, is huge. I was talking to a family just yesterday about how important it is to be a student that shows that hustle and how much that contributes to your success, much more than the name on the degree at the end of the day. Yeah. And yeah, I love also the, this description of flexibility. And Jess, I'm curious for you because you said you changed your major at some point in Cal Poly. I think there's a perception that if you get into a CSU that you're really in a pipeline for the major you've applied for, but your experience is showing that actually there's some flexibility and some adjustment that you can have. Can you talk a little bit about that experience of how you made a decision to pivot when you were in college and what that pivot has meant for you professionally afterward? Yeah. So when I first applied to colleges, I really wanted to um, build this very specific. I wanted to build uh, flight simulation software for the military. That was what I wanted to do. I love planes. I've always loved planes, but I also love computers. And so I thought, well, this is a great way to merge my two interests. Fantastic. I got approximately Cal Poly runs on the quarter system right at the Mm -hmm. time. And so I got three months into my college career. And I thought I have chosen incorrectly. <laughs> um, I had taken some computer science classes in, in high school and I loved them. Uh, yeah. And then I got to Cal Poly and I thought, wow, I am no longer the smartest person in the classroom. There are a lot of very intelligent people here mm-hmm. uh, doing this much better than I can, which with much less effort. And it was at that moment I thought, well, I still love computers, but I'm just, I'm not happy. This isn't what I want to do, but I don't know what I want to do. So I waffled around a little bit and I actually found myself in the career services center talking to a counselor. And I said, just that, I don't know where to go with my life. I want help. Can you steer me in the right direction to figure out what that might be for me? And she was very gracious, you know, right around that time, it was right after the great recession, you know, 2010 ish. And so she said, well, why don't you check this book out? This is all career paths that are expected to be really good in the next 10 years. Take a look. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I grew up also having an interest in law enforcement and things of that nature. And so when I was flipping through this book, I found the term computer forensics. And I thought, wow, that sounds really cool. And so I delved down that a little bit deeper. And at the time, Cal Poly was piloting a new interdisciplinary major called liberal arts and engineering studies. And it was a real mix of uh, the College of Engineering and the College of Liberal Arts, as the name (laughs) would suggest. Um, But the philosophy was that engineering really grows and is fostered by understanding the arts and your contributions to it. And so uh, it was being piloted at the time and they were looking for willing candidates to sort of be one of the first of two graduating classes. And so I thought, hmm, I wonder if this is for me. So I met with the uh, professors who were piloting the program and I told them about computer forensics and they said, great, come on over. So I spent the next two years having an individualized course of study for uh, computer forensics. So I took uh, computer science classes and then on the other side, I took um, criminal justice law classes, things Mm -hmm. of that nature. Um, And then I went right into it. Uh, I graduated uh, right after that. I started with a small firm on the central coast and uh, slowly made my way over to the um, East Coast, where I've worked, like I said, for about eight years now, uh, doing computer forensics. I've never done anything else, and I love every day of it. It's still a challenge. It's still really fun. And so, you know, I think being at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, or to not say that mouthful every time, Cal Poly Slow, yeah. uh, it would it really allowed me to 
to have that opportunity to question why I was there and know that there was another way to go about uh, getting my education and being happy while I did it. I didn't have to trudge through the classes just to get the paper at the end. You could enjoy your time there too. And I think if I had gone to some of my other choices, I don't know that I would have gotten that level of attention and that opportunity to sort of discover who I was and what I wanted to be when I left there, which was really the rest of your life. So I think that's more important than anything. It's really cool. You know, I commented on Alethea really seeming to have a straight line and yours seems a little bit more of a zigzag or there was a pivot where you, you went off in a different kind of direction. But I'm also really struck how both of you are talking about individualized support and attention connection with faculty. I I think a lot of people perceive the CSUs to be degree mills in some way. They're big. They've got lots of students. You come in, you don't get to know anybody, and then you're out the other side with your degree. Can you give some more just, what was your sense of, of the reality of that? Did you feel like you could always reach out and find a professor that you felt like there were resources to support you? How, how would you characterize that, that experience? Alethea, why don't you start there? Yeah, I, I always felt like even if our if it was our counselors or whoever our admin was was overwhelmed or had a lot of students, I could always reach out to one of my professors or someone else who's within the department and never doubted that I would get a response or get the attention mm-hmm. that I needed. Um, mm-hmm. I would always have at least one one advocate on that team to where if I couldn't get one person on the phone, they'd say, let's go get coffee. Let's go talk. What's Great. going on? Um, and and really gave you that one-on-one attention um, versus just it's office hours. Come in. You have five minutes. Great. We've done the check. You've told me what's going on. Here's a checkbox. Here's your one sheet with information. Talk to you in three months. Um, right. And it that that really helped because I was also a commuter. It being at Cal State LA is a commuter school. So um, I didn't get the on-campus life that a lot of other people people got. And building those lasting relationships and having someone who's like, we understand you're not here. You may not be on campus 24-7 and be able to walk over because you're holding down a job and you have other responsibilities going on. Um, that was, that was, that's, I think, one of the top things I took out of that experience and I was grateful for. Yes. Yeah. And, and I can kind of echo what, what Alethea was saying. Whenever I would come to office hours and I was an office hour person, I was always yeah. at office hours talking to the professors, you know, just connecting with them, trying to, to do the best I could. And I remember distinctly a very, very quick story that Uh, I was in a computer science class and I was in way over my head and I brought my computer almost in tears to my professor. And I said, I don't understand this error. Will you please help me? And he actually sat down next to me at his desk. He had me pull up a chair and we went through my program line by line. And he took probably about 45 minutes. And when I was done, I was just so grateful that he wasn't, uh, he didn't just shoo me away. I was like, well, you know, your program's your program. That's, that's how you learn. You know, he actually could see that I really needed help and he took the time to sit down and, and give me the attention I needed. And, I don't know that it would have gotten that at a few of the other places I had been considering. So it was really important to me. It's it's great. I think there there are two things here. I think that one, you're both illustrating the possibilities at a CSU if if you take advantage of it. But I think I I hope also our listeners are recognizing we've got two really successful women here who found, you know, success in different kinds of industries, but you both are really committed to learning, to stepping up, to asking for help, to seeking out mentors. 
that's a that's a very important mindset to have no matter where it is that you go to school um and and you're showing that at the CSUs that there there's also the opportunity to be successful I'm curious about each of you. You went to very different campuses. You had different experiences. Jess, am I correct in assuming you lived on campus, whereas Alethea was okay? So you, you were an yeah. on-campus uh, student. What's your sense of connection to the CSU system? Are you only connected to your campus, or is there a sense of pride about the entirety of the system? I'll go and say that both both me and all my siblings have been in or are currently attending a CSU. Uh, so I, I definitely have a connection to it. I will always love uh, Cal Poly, uh, slow, not Pomona, uh, over <laughs> over anything in the CSU system, but I, I do have a love for it and I have a, a, found, a big found respect for it. I would not be where I am today without uh, the CSU system at large, for sure. Cool. Um, I, I think there's, you, you automatically in my case, you feel that connection and that network across the board. Because even when I was in school, there were other individuals going to other Cal States who were experiencing the same thing. And we utilized resources that were shared within um, the, um, the network. And then coming out of school, I, and meeting people and, and working with individuals, there's a sense of, I don't want to sound corny, but like a family of, of sense, because it's like, it well, we went corny. to, we went to the Cal States. Like, this is like, we, we know what's up here. You're, you're going to do good. Okay. Come over here versus um, any other school and being able to just see a Cal State in the rankings with these, we'll say quote unquote, more prestigious schools is mm-hmm. always, it, it puts a smile on my face. Um, and um like my husband went to the Cal State through the Cal State system as well. And we've, we've just met so many great individuals um, who, who have come out of it and done great things. This is, this is great. I mean, you're, you're obviously a sample size of only two, but I think that the experience that you've had sounds very resonant and sounds like something that is there for students to take. I want to just give you a final opportunity before we close this segment. If you could give a piece of advice to a student who is considering colleges is applying this year, whether that's related to where they would consider or just any mindset that you think they ought to have, what kind of advice would you give? Jess, you're ready. You look ready. Yeah. My, my mindset would be, don't worry so much about the piece of paper because you worry more about where you're going to be happy. College can be a really tumultuous time in your life. You're away from home. You're learning how to be you. You're figuring out who you, you is at the same time. And I think so many people try and find, well, what's going to look best on my resume when I graduate? And that's great. And that should be a component. But don't forget about yourself and who you are in the process and finding where you fit for the next four years. Because um, it's going to go by way faster than you think. That's right. Yeah. That's great advice. Alethea? Uh, I think mine would be, think about what you actually want to do and how much experience you want prior before going into the, the, the outside world, the workforce, Um, because it's um, just like Jess said, don't think about that just the paper because you may come out of uh, a Ivy league or we'll say UCLA. And yes, you have that degree, but you didn't actually get that hands-on experience. 
that you would most likely get out of Cal State. So just weighing those those two things, I think. That's great. Great pair of considerations for students to keep in mind. And and it was really great talking to both of you and hearing a little bit about your your CSU experience. I want to say thanks again for being here. Yeah. Oh, thank you. All right, folks, when we come back, we are going to talk about some teacher loan forgiveness programs in different states. So uh, talking a little bit about finance, don't go away. We'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. As usual, we're going to turn now to some conversations about finance. Loans have been a big big, big, big subject of conversation over the last few months, uh, especially with some of the different conversations that are happening at the federal level. And we want to unpack different aspects of loan forgiveness on many of our different sessions here on the radio show. So joining us today to talk about a very specific window into loan forgiveness is one of our college finance experts, Stacey McFeeders. Hey, Stacey, welcome back. Hey, and thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. And we are talking about some, there are different kinds of programs and some, you know, resonate with certain populations and others might be applicable to other populations. I think, I don't want to speak for you, but you love when people can work towards loan forgiveness. I that's, do. That's, a, <laughs> I do. that's a really good thing in your world. Yep. So let's just start first with, you know, we're going to talk about state teacher loan forgiveness programs, but let's talk with what most people are familiar with, which is the public service loan forgiveness program. Maybe you can give an introduction for sure. folks to understand what that is and, yep. and when they might start thinking about that as it relates to their uh, higher education expenses. 
Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, loans probably one of the hottest topics in in education finance lately. But really, um, obviously, loan forgiveness is huge. Obviously, we know that the uh, Biden Harris forgiveness program is tied up right now with the with the Supreme Court. Right. Um, but there are still existing loan programs <clears throat> that out there that are out there that that are in sort of the forgiveness world. And I think the one that everybody is most familiar with is public service loan forgiveness. Yeah. And really simply put, it is a federal forgiveness program that allows for federal direct student loans to be forgiven after 10 years of repayment uh, for those employees working full time, which is 30 hours in the public nonprofit sector. So that applies to a lot of health care, a lot of um, public schools, you know, obviously uh, any other sort of nonprofit industry. So there's a lot of folks who can really be be helped by public service loan forgiveness. Um, and, and again, you know, I've been around a long time. Ian knows that. And, and it hasn't always been in favor. PSLF was not as successful as it should have been. It's been around for, gosh, almost 15 years. Um, but in the last two years, there's been a lot of efforts made to really improve the process. Uh, everything is online. It's 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 streamlined. So for those folks who may have been through it before and and maybe it didn't work or something was wrong, give it another shot. Um, because if okay. you if you qualify under the you know the the work terms um, and and the loan type, it, it can certainly be very fruitful. Is it ten consecutive years of? public work, like you couldn't leave, start a private practice, come back. You actually can. You can. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, good. absolutely. So basically it's, it, excuse me, it's 10 years combined. Um, so we've seen a lot of that in the last couple of years, folks who maybe were, you know, in, in whatever uh, uh, public industry went private, came back. So yeah, as long as it's combined to period of time um, and, and actually a kind of interesting um, fun fact is obviously most of us know that federal student loans have been in the, um, administrative forbearance due to the CARES Act for almost three years. Right. These right. three years, or what will be by the time it ends, if it ends in June, the 37 months will all count towards the years of payments. So Interesting. you asked earlier who should be thinking about this and when. Anyone who is either in a, a nonprofit industry or anyone who is considering <laughs> a nonprofit industry, including students who are looking at colleges and in college today. What do you think is a common mistake that you see for those who might be angling for PSLF and maybe miss some of the fine print, uh, yep. and and so they they don't qualify? Yeah, so there's there are two, the sort of major qualification or the the major reason people miss qualification is you have to be in one of a few approved student loan repayment programs. One is okay. the standard program, which is 120 payments, um, the equal payments over the life of the loan. If you do math, that doesn't make sense because in a normal, year, a normal situation, 120 payments is 10 years. If you've made those payments, your loans are paid off. However, because of the administrative forbearance, we know that folks are going to get credit for these three years, so standard can work. Also, the others are generally income-based programs, um, so basically what that means is when you get your student loan, um, you, you know, you get, you hear from your loan servicer that you're going back into student loan repayment, you have to look at your, your repayment type. And if it doesn't meet the qualifications, you wouldn't qualify. So you just want to make sure that that, that is happening. Um, is your servicer the person to check in with on absolutely. circumstances? Yep. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, so that's kind of the first piece. The second piece is a lot of folks don't necessarily um, 
complete the requirements. So every year, so you, you do a, a, an annual uh, require, or, sorry, an annual documentation requirement that certifies that you are in fact working for a nonprofit employer. Should be done annually, but you are also allowed to catch up. So if you are in the midst and you haven't done all of this, you still can. Um, so that seems to be the other piece where people just haven't done the required documentation. Gotcha. So take notes, yeah. communicate. <laughs> Make sure that you're filling out your documentation. This is important. This is a lot of money, guys. Let's make sure that this happens. Yeah. Um, now we're talking about state teacher loan forgiveness programs, mm-hmm. which feel to me like it's super niche, um, yeah. applying to a very small percentage of people. Yeah. When we talk about state teacher loan forgiveness programs, is that because different states have different forgiveness programs, or is it? Yeah. What is it that that gives that terminology? It's it's. Yep. So. It's a great question. And it's funny, we see forgiveness programs in other nonprofit industries as well, a lot in healthcare. Um, But where we see them in education in particular is generally it's they're offered by the states. Sometimes we see them in specific school districts. When we see them offered by the states, it's generally because they are looking for something, needing to fill underserved areas, looking at teacher shortages. Um, There's only currently about 17 to 20 states that participate in these types of programs. And generally, they are very, very specific. So it's not as simple as, you know, the state of of Mississippi has a program. It's not as simple as I become a teacher in Mississippi, I will have my loans forgiven. You have to meet the actual very specific requirements. And usually they're around teaching in underserved areas or with underserved populations or things of that nature. So if I'm working in a school... Uh, that's a nonprofit, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a situation where I would probably qualify also for PSLF. Why yeah. would I be interested in knowing more about a state teacher loan forgiveness program? What's the advantage to pursuing that option as opposed to the PSLF program? Awesome question. So yes, if you are in a public school, you very much should qualify for PSLF, assuming that you're full-time and meeting all the other requirements. If you're not, First of all, that's one reason why um, the state program might work better. Maybe you don't have the ability to participate in the the repayment program that is required. Or um, often what we see is that we know for PSLF, it's a 10-year period. For a lot of the states, the periods are much shorter. So it could be that it's a three-year period, but they're only going to forgive up to $10,000. So there's certainly no reason why you couldn't double dip if that's something that you're interested in. So I could say, I'm going to go teach uh, in this state that does a state loan forgiveness. It's going to help take care of a big chunk of my loans. It's a shorter period of time. Maybe I commit three years to doing that. And then I go do seven more years in nonprofit work while staying on a repayment plan. And maybe that also allows me to qualify for PSLF. So yep, that, absolutely. Okay. So I've just described a double dip pretty yep, accurately. Yeah. Or even if you don't leave, you know, you stay within the public school system and you've done your three years, gotten your, your state forgiveness, then you've already earned three years towards PSLF and you can continue through the next seven years. Yep. Gotcha. So is this something that you find that people who are interested in teaching are actively considering? Are they are they well utilized or do they often fly under the radar and people don't know about them? So as a general rule, I would say not, not just the state programs, but PSLF is very underutilized in education. Mm. We see it a lot in other industries. There's been a lot of focus on it, but we don't see it as much um, in, in education. And there's a couple reasons for that. I think when you work in public schools, you're not necessarily tied to an HR department. Whereas if you're with a healthcare system, there's very regular communication from HR, um, which is one of the reasons I'm thrilled that I'm thrilled we're doing this segment, because we do want teachers to recognize that this is something that's available to you. Not only PSLF, but if you are in a state that does have a program that is, you know, 
facing a teaching shortage or um, you want to be in the underserved areas, this is something that, you know, can be, you know, you're probably pretty inspired if that's what you want to do to begin with. But if you need a little more inspiration, this isn't bad. Um, So certainly something that you could have in mind. Where can people go to find information? Is there a central database where these are? I mean, you're describing state programs. And so my assumption is that these are going to be really dispersed kind of like 529 program considerations are, but then there is savingforcollege.com where I can go and look at all of the state programs. Is there something like that for these teacher loan forgiveness programs? So there is not one aggregator site like a saving for college. You can certainly, you know, use your favorite search engine and search for teacher, you know, state teacher forgiveness programs and you'll get a smattering. But what I would do is if you are in a particular state, search by your state or a state that you might want to go to. Like I said, right now there's between 17 and 20. And the reason I say that is um, we have two that are actually starting um, for a very short period of time. And another that is sort of dwindling off. Um, I I will tell you that we have seen a little bit of an influx in these in the last, oh, probably three years of short of shorter term, um, short term um, forgiveness programs because they are really seeking teachers for the shortage. So definitely okay. sort of look in, within your own state and, and kind of start searching in that way. And if you do have, you know, some sort of a human resource department within your school system, certainly reach out to them as well. And these are things that we're tending to see that these are coming from a policymaker's perspective, largely as a solution to the problem of a lack of teachers. Um, is that right? Like, is that the impetus for creating these in new states is we don't have enough people that's incentivized their decision here? Yep. Yeah. It, it's either sort of overall shortage or like I said, shortage in a particular, you know, needed area. So, um, you know, I'm thinking right off the top of my head, I'm thinking about Colorado has created some specific for hard to fill areas. New York has recently introduced a, a STEM-related uh, forgiveness program. So they can be very specific um, and then they can be general. You know, it, I think you just want to really dig into the details. And then Great. actually to take it one step further, sorry not to jump, but no. there are also some districts that will do the same. Some districts may receive some grant funding or you know, other programmatic monies that help them to fill specific needs as well. So certainly be searching for those also. A lot of good reasons to be a teacher, uh, you know, the opportunity to work with kids and we need teachers. And so it's wonderful to hear that there are some incentives out there for people to make this choice and and hopefully feel a little bit of a lightning in terms of their loan expectations and repayment. Uh, Stacy, thanks for coming on the show and talking us through this. It's, it's important stuff. Absolutely. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, folks, we'll be back again next week. Believe it or not, it will be the eight year anniversary to the day of the start of this podcast. And so in order to have a little retrospective, we're going to do a show with Beth Heaton, his host, Sally Ganga, and I will be joining. And we'll also have Shannon Vasconcelos to come on and we'll talk about whether we like doing the podcast and if we want to keep it going. And I, I think the answer is probably yes. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week and in future weeks to talk about everything college finance and admissions. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Take care. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.